pleasure to be here at the uh, Secret Space Conference presented by Journey to the Truth. My name is Daryl James, and I volunteered for the United States Navy Secret Space Program. Oh. This is my high school picture. Oh. <laughs> One of my earliest memories was, uh, I think I was about three or four years old, and I was sitting down on the couch with my dad, and we were watching uh, Sesame Street. And telepathically, my father didn't call it that, but he said to me, um, do you think you'll be able to remember how to do this as you get older? He said that your sister used to be able to do it, but she forgot. And I said, yeah, Dad, I'll remember. And he uh, died of a heart attack when I was 19 years old, about two years after this. And then that led me up to the Navy, and that's my boot camp graduation picture in uh, Great Lakes, Illinois. And, um, that was about February of 99. I joined in January, but they took the picture in about February. That's me in Iraq. I served in Iraq in 2002. And then after Iraq, I volunteered for, um, never, I got into a new command in uh, RF St. Morgan, Royal Air Force, and uh, Newquay, England. And uh, let me see what the next slide. That's a uh, map of it overhead. And right there is the uh, underground base. So you can see it's like a big hill, mound of dirt, and that would be the entrance right there. Um, later on in the story, I'll go into further. This is where uh, I worked right here at the garage. It was on the other side of the base, and this is the Navy Exchange. I think I bought Dave Chappelle season two there. And, uh, that was the bar, right? It was, I worked there, and the bar was right there. And there was a guy, I just call him the goon. I can't remember his name. And he was this big guy, and he had a shaved head. I found out later on he was a Satanist. And uh, he found out that during my 20 year in back, I killed him. And uh, he found out about that, because another guy was uh, executed. He uh, tried to sabotage her ship, and nobody really believed it, the people that did know, and nobody really believed it until that guy was executed. He was an off-world German, but he was a first-class petty officer, and that's what the military calls them. They call them off-world Germans. And he tried to, I left the bar, and he tried to strangle me about right here, and he just came up right behind me, and I think he said something like, if you're going to kill me, I'll kill you first. But uh, the executive officer who knew that I was in danger had uh, people, like uh, English. I think one of them might have been Kruger, which is like a corporation from another universe, like a German corporation. But he was English, but he worked for Kruger. And he actually saved me. There were two English guys over here, and I got strangled right here. And they said, hey, drop him. And he said something like, but he's going to kill me. And I heard cuffs go on them. I was like blacked out, but I wasn't knocked out. You know, when you get strangled like that, you could still hear, but you can't see, or you know, you're just on the ground, kind of collapsed. And they carried him. They said, "Is he alive?" He said, "Yeah." And they carried me to my room. And I woke up, and I really didn't remember it because I was drunk. Um, I'll. I guess I'll go. This is a, another map of it. I'll go into the story of how it happened. Um, 
I was there. Well, I arrived there, and the first class petty officer picked me up, and he said, this is a weird base. And he really didn't go into detail about it, but he just said, yeah, this is a weird base, man. And uh, I first I, oh, I had to guide Siemens, civilian Siemens uh, workers, they were for the corporation Siemens, to uh, fix a pump inside the base. And I was only there for like two or three days, and I only had a secret clearance. I didn't have a top secret clearance. And they're like, yeah, we need, to, we need to escort these civilians to fix a pump. So I went over there, escorted them, and as I went in, there was a, uh, like a metal detector, it looked like. I, the first guy, the civilian worker, he walked to, up to it, and he said, I'm not going through that bloody thing. And he walked around it, and they all walked around it. So I thought, well, I don't want to go either, so I'll walk around. But then that, that one guy who saved me, he was there a lot, he had wore like a beret, and he had a rifle over his shoulder, and he was behind a stainless steel table. And he said, no, you go through. So I looked at it, and I just thought, well, it's a metal detector. And I went through. I think I remember kind of like a flash of like blue light when I walked through it, but uh, I don't know. And in the base, there's white stripe, blue stripe, red stripe on the floor. And white stripe was uh, secret clearance, so it went to the fewest places. Blue stripe was top secret clearance. It went to more places. And uh, the red was I don't know. And it went down, it went everywhere. And it went down certain hallways that uh, didn't have any light. And I don't know why. I figured maybe if you walk down here, there would be light. An automatic light would come on, but I didn't know. And uh, then I went with, um, then that happened. And then, then that, the next week I had, they call it balls to four in the military, which is like 0, 0,100 a.m. to 4 a.m. And um, I walked in and I saw the guy, Michael Aquino, who's like a well-known Satanist. He's a, what do you call it, Temple of Set or something like that he started. And I saw him on Oprah when I was a kid. That's the only reason I knew him. And he has like curved up eyebrows, like horns on his eyebrows. And he was in his uniform. He's a colonel. And I said, good evening, sir. And he went, oh, how you doing? And asked me how I liked England, and I, I said, oh, it's okay. And I don't know, I didn't like him. I felt uncomfortable, and I just said, I'm gonna do another round, sir, I'll see you later. And I, was, I walked around the base, and that was that. And then I had another um, Balls of Four watch the next Friday, which isn't very common. And um, went in, sat down, and there was a petty officer watch. He was a heavyset guy with a blonde mustache, blonde hair. And um, we were just sitting there, and he pointed at the computer monitor, and he said, what do you think about that? And I said, where'd you get that off the internet? It looked like a, you know, your regular gray, and it was in like a black and white picture. And um, he said, look. And when he said, look, I looked up, and on the wall there was like a window that stopped about four inches of the ceiling, about four inches of the floor, and there was like a gray standing behind it. And um, I didn't know what to think. I never saw anything like that. It didn't make any sense. And I guess it was behind this glass, so you wouldn't freak out or do anything to it. And he, he said, do you mind if it comes in here? And I said, does it mind if I like, look at it? Because I didn't know if it was like an animal. I didn't know. I didn't think maybe if I stared at it too long, would it attack me? I didn't know. And uh, so he said he didn't mind. It walked out, and it came through these sliding glass doors. And that same guard was behind him. And uh, 
It had a silver pistol in his hand. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Oh, no. There it is. No, no, I'm sorry. There it is. It looked like that. It was like a khaki brown, and it was just had really long fingers. Like it looked like you could pick something up off the ground without bending its knees or its back or anything like that. And it had like a silver kind of pistol in its hand. And I just got back from my rack, so I said like, "Gun, gun, gun." And uh, it was still walking towards me. And I stood up and I said, "Gun." And uh, it said it's not a gun, but it said it like in my head, like telepathically. It's it's not a gun. And um, I, by the way, as I got older, I forgot like I could do any of that. I forgot I, I could, you know, communicate with people that way. And uh, that guard, he had his rifle at the ready, which means he had it like down. He didn't have a pointed at me, but he had it at the ready. So I realized that it wasn't for it; it was for me in case I freaked out. So I sat down. It walked up to me, and it. I thought maybe it was something like at a Star Trek with those injectors, you know, they look like pistols. I thought he was going to inject me with something or maybe take a sample from me. I didn't know. I was like trying to figure this out. And next to it, there was like a crappy government-issued Dell computer. And it took it apart like nothing. It didn't have to, to guide the screw in or anything like that. It didn't have to guide it in. It just like a machine. And it took it apart, slid it off, put it down, slid the top off, popped out two gigs of RAM, put it on top of the table because it was short, had to reach up, grab two more, put them in, slid it back down, and it was able to like snap kind of like the screws in between its fingers, and it put it together almost just as quick as it took it apart. And um, walked away. Oh, well, it stood there for a second, let me look at it. And I looked this way, and it turned around, and I looked that way, and it turned around, and I looked at its hands, and it moved its hands back and forth, and let me just observe it. And I got kind of bored with it, and I, and it walked, uh, they walked away, they went back into the underground base. And the uh, first class petty officer, he said, what did you think about that? And I said, it's pretty weird. <laughs> and he said, do you, do you think you could work around something like that? And I said, yeah, I guess. I didn't, yes, yeah, sure. And I think it was like a test to gauge to see if I would run away or attack it or how I would interact with this thing. And he started looking through his computer, and he said, uh, you're smart. And I said, really? He goes, really smart. And I said, like, like how smart? You know, 140. <laughs> <laughs> I said, 140 or 150 IQ. And he said, more like 190, 195. And he showed me, like, these, on the monitor, there was, like, these lines. And they were color-coded. And they just went across, and they kind of went up and down a little bit and another one, and another one, and there's just a bunch. So there's two by themselves, and he goes, you're the second smartest guy on base. And there's one right above me, and one right here, and there's a gap, and then there's the rest of the guys. And um, he said, why did you become a CB? It was the construction battalions, and I, I said, I have a marijuana paraphernalia charge, so I can only do construction or be a cook. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, I went into construction instead. And I remember he started asking me things like, do you have any hobbies? And I said, well, I used to play classical guitar. Like when I was, you know, I stopped at around 19 and I was 25 now. And uh, 
He said, well, that's good. I like that. And he was talking like day. And I was like, what is he talking about? And he said, uh, do you have any tattoos? And I said, no. And he said, good. The Germans don't like tattoos. And I said, Germans? What do you mean Germans? And he said, uh, well, there's Germans up there. And I said, where? He's like, he's like, there's Germans in the moon and further. And he really didn't call it space. He was like, is this up there? And yeah, so that happened. And then I went back home, and I just was dealing with this. And I remember the guys came up to me the next day, and they said, like, what did you think? And I said, what? You know, I kind of said, what? And they said, you know, long spindly fingers, big black eyes, kind of creepy looking. And I thought, oh, yeah. And I really did. I, like, I kind of blocked it from my mind. I don't know. Maybe it was just something too unbelievable to, like, figure out or believe. And I remember when he was showing me this, when it was happening, I, like, gave myself a blood blister on the thigh. I was sitting down. I pinched myself as hard as I could. And he said, do you think you're dreaming? And I said, no. I want to have like a mark or something in case you erase my mind, so maybe I'll remember this. <laughs> and he said, no. And I woke up the next day, and I had like a blood blister on my thigh. And um, yeah, so then I had another. No, then there were, it was Monday, and the uh, executive officer came to the garage, which that doesn't really happen. It's, you know, they might call you to their office, but they don't come to you. And. Um, You know, he walked me around, he started out the garage, and he started walking down, and he walked over here. And right about here, he asked, uh, Petty Officer James, have you ever heard of Project Solar Warden? And I said, no, sir. And he said, uh, well, have you ever heard of the United States Navy Secret Space Program? And I said, no, but I think I could figure that one out. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And he said, you see, we have this program. It's called the 20 year and back. It's, you do, we put you in the program. You do 20 years. We send you back in time 20 years, age regress you 20 years, wipe your mind, and you wake up in bed like nothing happened. And I was like, well, oh, OK. <laughs> and I remember I said, I said, I can believe in time travel, and I can believe you know, going back in time. But there's something about age regression. I was like, I find that hard to believe. And he said, after what you saw, you find that hard to believe? And I said, well, touche, sir, but yes. <laughs> and he said, well, it's true. He, he didn't want any more time to try to convince me. And uh, he talked about, is it Terrence McGinnon? Did I say that right? He hacked in, the, this was, you know, only a couple years ago. Hmm? Terry McGinnon. Gary McGinnon. And, uh, yeah, he, it, this was in Scotland, so it was in the UK area, and he hacked into NASA. This was probably like two years ago. And he got all this information about like off-world officers, social security numbers, uh, pictures of cigar-shaped craft over the moon, stuff like that. And he said, it's all real. Like all of it. He was told that. He said, all of it's real. And um, so we were walking down further, and I was thinking about it. and. Uh, he said, Petty Officer James, if you volunteer for this, I guarantee you'll become pilot of a four kilometer long starship. And I was like, well, and he, he told me it looks similar to like the Battlestar Galactica ships, kind of like that. And um, I was like, all right. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought about it, and we were walking down, and you know, we walked down here, and we walked down, 
We went all the way, like the medical was like way over here. And the lieutenant, the head doctor at medical, he was an off-world German. Later on, the XO told me all this stuff, he's the executive officer. Um, gosh, the master chief of the base, he was an off-world German, who's third in command. The S3, who's fourth in command, he's like the legal officer, he was an off-world German. He actually told me he was on my ship that I was on in the Dark Fleet. And um, yeah, so, and we had, what was it, a senior chief that was skinny, had a mustache, he was an off-world German, and this first-class petty officer that hated me, he was blonde, and I didn't know why he hated me, but he was an off-world German. And uh, so I thought about it, and I said, well, is that machine, when I walked through that machine, it not only told you your IQ and everything else, it told you, like he was telling me things like, uh, You, you, uh, you, you smoke, but you don't have any clots. You don't have any blood clots, because I used to smoke a lot back then. And he said, uh, but that's because you drank, because I used to drink a lot back then. And so he could tell me all this stuff. And this was that heavy set first class. And something else that first class told me, I forgot to tell you, was uh, there was a kid who always won the uh, PRT test, which is physical readiness test. So it's like nose push-ups, sit-ups. He could run the fastest. And everybody knows that guy on base. And um, he said, that's me, he said. And he was like 35, but this kid was like 18. He said, I joined the secret space program, and that's me. And he said, don't tell him. He said, that's why I have the, blonde, the mustache. It's like a disguise. He was like that. And I said, all right. Anyways, going back to here, um, I got to a point where I said, well, you know, if I'm going to do this, I thought I'm going to do it for something. So I said, there was a machine I walked through that told you everything, your clots and everything else. I said, my dad died of, it was called a Widowmaker, where he had no warning, no, he his high cholesterol, nothing, it just happened. He had a piece of cholesterol, like in one of his heart arteries, and it snapped off and he died. And uh, I said, if we had technology like that, it would have saved his life. And he started going in about, you know, we can't do that because of population control and everything else. And I said, uh, well, there has to be like a side that wants to, bring this to the public. And I remember he said, he said, you mean like a traitor? And I said, no, sir. And I said, there just has to be a side, like a fact, there has to be something where people want this to brought the light. And he said, well, there is. And I said, well, if you can get me into that side, I'll do it. And so we walked up a little further down, and he said, and also this whole time he was calling me Mr. James, which in the Navy is like officers call each other Mr. So he was already, already referring to me as like an officer almost. And um, we were walking back to where the officers were and he started walking away. I shook his hand, saluted him, started walking away. And um, he turned around and he said, one more thing, Mr. James, you're going to be escorted by a reptile and he's big. And I was like, oh my gosh. What, what does that mean? Like, I, I, I really didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> you know? And I remember before this, something I, I forgot to tell you guys was, uh, we were in the barracks playing Halo, the video game Halo, and I remember one of the guys said, uh, hey, did you see that reptile today in the base? And I had work in the base. And I was just waiting for the next game, and he said, yeah, it was big. So in my head, I'm thinking, like, all right, this is like a monitor lizard or something. They must live in the cave, like, underground or something, like four-legged lizards. So it must be big. And then one of them said, yeah, and he talked funny. And I, <laughs> and I said, what? Like, I just turned around, and I'm like, what? And 
they said, oh, you're new here, right? He's like, yeah, there's reptiles. They live underground, and they're, they're big. And I said, there's like big monitor lizards that walk around and talk to you? He's like, no, they walk upright like us on two feet. Because I, I had no idea, like, at all. Like, I, I didn't know any of this stuff. And uh, I thought it was just because I was a new guy or something, and they were messing with me. So I was like, all right, whatever. And uh, <laughs> so I volunteered for it. And um, it, was, I, it was like another time we were playing Halo and the guys were talking. And I guess, like, I think they were kind of doing small things here and there to try to get me acclimatized. I think the command was telling them, like, hey, kind of, like, let them know a little bit here and a little bit there. And um, one of the guys said, yeah, man, I joined the secret space program and I was on the moon. And, we worked in mines, and they put collars around our necks, and if, you know, we worked in groups, and if somebody in the group didn't work right or work hard enough, they would shock us all, and he said they had, like, brothels there, and you got to sleep with all these women, and that was, like, your only motivation to work, and all stuff like this, and I was, what? And he's like, yeah, man, it was great. And then I said to him, <laughs> I, I, said, I said to him, um, I said, well, I said, like, did you have any kids? And he said, yeah. And I said, uh, well, do you, do you, like, know any of them? And he's like, nah, man. And I was like, well, doesn't that make you sad? And he's like, nah, man, I don't care about that. And he, just, he just had, like, one of those kind of attitudes. And um, so, and I remember the guys, I, I thought they were still messing with me, but I remember there was this kid on the bed. He was sitting at the foot of the bed. And I looked around, and I was like, come on. And he, like, nodded his head, and, like, like, in confirmation. And I said, well, the XO himself came up to me and said I would be a pilot of a four-kilometer-long starship. Did he do that to you? Because I thought maybe the XO like, kind of told everybody this and just lied to him. And I was wondering. And he said, no, no, man. He's like, you're going to be up there, man. They're going to take good care of you. He's like, nobody came up to me. I just volunteered. And he's like, they're going to put you in this chair, right, when you come back. And all you have to do is just fight it. Just fight it as much as you can, you'll remember. And I found out later the guys were talking about yeah, he went back into the chair, this guy, you know, he couldn't take it. He couldn't take the memories and stuff like that, so they had to put him back in the chair. And uh, so that happened, and then there was another time. Oh, and when this happened, I forgot, there was like a feedback kind of sound in the room. And it said something like, you know, now hear this, you are now in violations of sections 56, 58 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. If you do not stop right now, you will be fined up to $100,000 and 10 years in prison. And it, that'll be all, and it went away. And I looked around and I said, is there a speaker in here? And they said, no. He's like, with the technology they have, they don't need speakers. And I found out later, I don't know if you can see it. Where is it at? Oh, it's over there. Well, anyways, by the... Uh, underground base, there was, you know, like a dish, but it had these rectangular blocks, and I never saw anything like that, like, on a big tower. And this was 2003. And the next day, another guy came to me. Everybody called him Orlando, Orlando, because he liked Star Wars, like Lando Cruzian and stuff like that. And, uh, but his name was Orlando, and he said, yeah, did you hear that, like, that, vo that voice that you heard in that room? And I said, yeah, it was the next day he told me this. And 
He said, that's those towers and those blocks on those towers. He said, that's 5G towers. He's like, it's like an experimental thing they're using here. He said they can make a beam, like a microwave, microwave beam. They can put it into a room. They can see everything. They can hear anything. And they can talk to you as well. They can talk out loud. So they don't have to bug your room. They don't have to put any kind of microphone. They don't have to go break into your room. They can just do it with these 5G towers. And that was news to me. And yeah, so that's what happened that day. And then the moment the truth came, and it was another balls before. And I came in, I was wearing my Johnny Cash's, which is like your working blues, which is you know, like the man in black. He wore all black, black tie, black shirt, uh, black pants. And I, was, I came in, and he had me sign about the, this many papers. And he was flipping it for me, flipping it for me. And he's, you know, initial here, sign here, sign here. He's doing that, flip it, do it again, do it again. And I said, uh, I kind of had like cold feet, and I was like, I don't know about this, and he, you know. And I was like, I don't. Know. I tried to read it, and he, he's like, We'll be here all night if you read this. Yeah. And <laughs> so I was like, I don't know about this. And he's like, He said, You're already back there, so just sign the papers. And when he, he said when he said that, he was talking about me. I was already back. I was being age regressed. So, and I realized like I got this cold chill. Like I realized I was in like a time loop. I was like, oh, whoa, like I'm already back. And uh, yeah, so that happened. I signed all the papers. He said, have a seat. I sat down. And I was just kind of like daydreaming. He got on the phone. He goes, all right, send them in. And uh, I waited, yeah, I waited about 10 minutes. And And he said, all right, go with him. And he's pointed up. And when I looked up, in that same like big window, there was just this huge reptile. He was like unbelievably big. And he looked similar to this. He was, like, but he was darker brown, really dark brown. And his mouth went straight across and up. And he had gold like alligator eyes. And he was wearing like one of those blue skin tight suits. And I remember I stood up, I said, Jesus Christ. And I stood up and I was like, what is that thing? And he said, the, the XO told you, you know, there'd be a reptile. And I was like, yeah, I didn't think it'd be that big. <laughs> and it was, it was probably about nine and a half feet tall. And it kind of had the like, it kind of had to squat down in the room when it was in there. And I remember when I said that, I, well, I said, he's not going to eat me, is he? Like I said that, because it was just like my first reaction. And he said, he's much stronger than you and faster than you. If he wanted to eat you, he would have done it by now. And when I, when he, when I said that, he like sighed, like this three-second inhale and this three-second exhale. Like it was almost like, you know, not alone with these assholes, you know what I mean? Like it was like a nine to five to him. And I saw that, and I was like, oh, my God. I was like, can you read my thoughts? Because the other one could read my thoughts. He goes, yes, you can read your thoughts. And I remember in my head, I said, sorry about that. And... <laughs> <laughs> and and so I walked it, I eventually got up and I walked in the room and there was a skinny first class and I found out later he was an off-world German. Or he was a skinny kid, I don't know what he was. He was in a British uniform, that's what it was. And uh, so I walked in and that's when I saw the lines in the base. And this is what, this is a close-up of it here. You know, that's, this is the uh, quarter deck, which is like the lobby of the base. 
And this was a mag lift, it kind of started right here. One of those trains that go really fast, and there's tunnels all over the earth, and they go extremely fast. And this was a 10,000 ton like blast door that could like withstand a near hit from a nuclear bomb. And uh, it looked like this on the inside. Um, Anne Marie, my girlfriend, drew this for me, so thanks. And yeah, this is a quarter deck. This is how you see it when you walked up. Here was the mag lift. It was just round like that, and it was white, and it looked almost kind of seamless, like real smooth and white, and it had like a little porthole like that, and it was big, and the tracks were wider than a regular train track, and it had a 10,000-ton door, and there was a siren that would go off, like a, a light that would flash, and it had to have like a steel wheel at the bottom, or otherwise it would have ripped it off the hinges. It was so heavy, and it went like across like a railroad track like that. And... Uh, we went in, and it looked kind of like this, you know? It looked kind of like that. It had the pipe, the water, the sewage, all the conduit on the ceiling. But it had, like like I said, it had the white, um, blue, and red stripes. And uh, we eventually got to, like, areas that were bigger. And, you know, we kept on going, and it got bigger and bigger. And I remember seeing, like, bicycles on the... On the uh, leaning against the wall and like golf carts, so maybe if somebody had to go somewhere far, they could just jump on a bike and take off. And uh, the, uh, the, the kid, the, the, the English guy, that I thought he was English, he kept on butt-stroking me in the back the whole time. He was just hitting me over and over again. And I remember I thought like, well, maybe it's because I'm looking around, and he kept on hitting me. And I remember I said like, I just got back from Iraq, so I really wasn't, you know, that afraid of weapons and stuff as far as just somebody hitting me with it, because they're just, you know, assing around. And uh, I remember I said something like, you know, I'm not looking around, so please stop hitting me. I was like, polite. And he did it again. And so I turned around, I grabbed his weapon, and I put my foot behind his legs, and I just threw him forward until he hit the solid concrete and knocked the wind out of him. And uh, I remember I held up his weapon, just by like the barrel, and I said, you know, if you hit me th with this thing one more time, I'm gonna shove it up your ass sideways. And uh, I remember the reptile like behind us, it kind of talked, it seemed like it was deep, deeper than any man could be, its voice, but then like the last syllable, it like had to push out. So it was like, leave us, like it kind of did that. Like, it kind of pushed out that last syllable. And uh, he got up, and he kept on looking at his weapon, looking at me, and I just, Stuck it out, he grabbed it, and he walked away. And when I turned around, it was just like, he was like here, you know, and he was like looking down at me. He was just flexing all his muscles and like letting me know how big he was. I remember I could see like his eyes peering over his chest muscles. And I didn't know what, I was just looking up, I didn't know what to say, and I remember I said, I'm sorry about what I said before, you're much more civilized than him. It was just the first thing I thought of. And when they're mad, at least this kind, they don't bare their teeth, and they don't furl their brows, they don't have muscles, just like a reptile. His eyes has got like real small, their eyes get real small when they're mad at you. And when I said that, they just opened up normal, and he turned around, and he started walking, and he said, follow me. I followed him, and we went down one of those, you know, well, immediately we went down one of those only red line areas where there was no light, and where I thought a light would automatically turn on, and nothing, so I guess I could see really well in the dark is what I thought to myself. And, I was really close to him, just trying to keep up so I wouldn't get lost in here. And we eventually got to an area where it was like a, one of the sealed doors they have, like on ships. And it had, you know, the wheel, a watertight door. And uh, 
he walked up these, you know, it was like three steps. We walked up, went inside, and there was like a chair, and it looked like, like, a, like a gas chamber chair. You know, it had holes in it and like straps and the door and everything else. So like in my head, I'm like, oh God, this thing's trying to kill me. And I remember like during the D.A.R.E. program, God knows why, but like I remember elementary school, they showed us a gas chamber chair for some reason. They put it like in a trailer and they, you know, it was like to not to get kids to use drugs and stop crime and stuff. <laughs> and I remember I was just thinking like so many people died on this thing and it scared the hell out of me. And uh, when I saw that chair, it was like that memory came back and I was like, no. And I just took off and it grabbed me and it threw me in the chair and uh, had me down and... I remember I, was trying to, I tried to pull its thumb up, and it had like these black nails that kind of, they were normal at first, but then they rolled into each other almost, and created almost like black needles. And uh, I grabbed its thumb, and I, pulled it, pulled, I was pulling it off, and it, uh, I think it headbutted me or something, or it just hit me, and it kind of blacked out, hit me in the forehead. And I woke back up, and that arm was in, and my right leg was in, so I kind of got off the chair, and it was really big, like it was made for one of them. It was just really wide, really high up, like meant for something really big. And uh, I was trying to get the strap off and he was doing the other leg. And I remember he like put his hand up against me and throw me back in the chair. And I could feel like his fingers here, but I could feel his palm here. So that's how big like his hand was. And he made almost like that mating call that an alligator makes where it's just like, you can't hear it, but you could feel it in your chest. And it rumbled and it got closer to me and it said, don't make me hit you again. When I did that, I jammed it, my thumb right in his eye. Because this, this was like fight or flight. Like I was like trying to get out of this chair no matter what. And it leaned back and it just pushed against me. It just leaned forward until it collapsed my chest. And like pushed against my heart and I blacked out. And I came back and I was completely put it strapped in. And I remember he said, I'm sorry I have to do this to you. And uh, hit something I couldn't see. It was on the wall where he first came in, so I couldn't see what he was doing. He was pushing buttons. I don't know what he was doing. And he walked out, and he tightened the door, and I was, remember I was hyperventilating, because maybe if I pass out, it won't be as painful. So I was like, kind of make myself hyperventilate to try to pass out. And uh, it almost felt like an out-of-body experience, kind of like weightlessness, cold, and then like you were just kind of like at peace. And later on, the uh, XO told me that that was a, uh, density chamber, and it artificially pushes you up from third to fifth density. And I remember before I joined the program, there was another time in the barracks where a guy left his door open. It was one of the kind of situations where it was almost like he wanted me to hear him. And like I said, they, the guys on base, they were doing things like to try to acclimatize me or whatever to this situation. And he said, you're going to be taken to a chair. And I was just listening. I was like in a TV room, but it was a room right across from it. And he's like, you're going to be taken to a chair. He was strapped in. It's called a density chamber. He said, because most of the ETs we deal with are fifth and sixth density. He said, you're, you'll be stronger, faster. Your IQ will get bumped up 200 points. And you'll become more of a collective, like in a group of people. And uh, so yeah, that's a really good image of it right there, of the, what the base looked like. You can kind of see like the lamp. That's where, you know, the lawn maintenance guy would mow, mow it. You can see all the lines. You can, see, you can see it going up. It's almost like elevation lines. And uh, so yeah, and when I got out, I remember um, 
I kind of fell down to the floor. I was really weak, and I had like this kind of amnesia. Like I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know my own name. I didn't know where I was. And I saw um, this guy look like a like a Gestapo. He's wearing like a black leather uniform, like black leather trench coat, and he had like an undercut, slick back with pomade kind of thing, blonde hair. And he was that first class that couldn't stand me, that blonde-headed first class. And uh, he looked like he was talking to it, but not talking, like gesturing like he was talking. And it was, you know, I, the reptile's backwards towards me, and it was kind of doing the same thing. And uh, I slid down the chair, and I remember one of the footrests like hit me in the back, because it was really high up. I fell down to like, on my feet, and I kind of was swaying, and I said something like, can I go to bed now? And I just fell down like on my hands and knees. I was exhausted. And I remember seeing like the boots come in front of my vision because I was looking down. And he said, uh, I should have you executed for what you did to my man. And he said, do you hear me? And then the uh, reptile said, it doesn't matter. He doesn't remember. And I fell down. I remember being carried by it, almost like a duffel bag under its arm. And then I remember seeing like a bright light, which I later found out was a uh, looking glass. It was like stepping through the looking glass and it was taking me to an area on the dark side of the moon. And uh, yeah, I remember being laid down on like a, like a medical table that was, or a bed, like a medical bed that was really wide. Like it was meant for one of them too, but it was kind of normal. It was just, it had like railings on the sides and things like that. And I could hear tearing and things like that. And I didn't know what it was. And, somebody started putting like stickers on my chest. It was like heart monitor stuff. It was like a physical kind of thing. I didn't know what was happening. And I remember it said, um, I was telling him I had to pee the whole time when he was carrying me. And I remember I woke, I just passed out. I was like, I'm gonna pee on you. And I just fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember he said, uh, it, he has to urinate. So I heard like one long rip. And it, uh, it was a woman, she put a catheter in me. And uh, I was like really out of it, and it was kind of like, I don't know, ignorance is bliss type of thing, so I was like, oh, and I looked at her, and I said, you're really pretty, <laughs> and I was like, and she was like laughing and stuff like that, and the other girl was like, ooh, started doing that, and then I just passed out, and then I woke up the next day, and I was in a room by myself, a white room, and the same woman came in, and she like put her bag down on the table, and she started doing stuff, like she had a smart glass pad, which is one of those pads, I'm sure you guys heard about that. It's like a computer, it's based, this uh, smartphone is based off of it kind of thing. And she was able to like, you know, there was images on it, she put her finger into it and lifted it up and the image came out and it was like a 3D image of like just a humanoid. She turned it around with her finger and then she stuck her finger into the image and spread it apart. You can see the heart, the brain, things like that. She was like giving me a physical and uh, it was actually a woman on the base that I knew named April. And uh, so she volunteered for this program as well. And um, I remember she was walking away and uh, she was gonna leave for the day and leave me in this room by myself. And I said, wait a minute. You know, I was like, you can't leave me in here. I don't know anyone. I, I said, I, I don't know what to do or to say, but I don't want you to leave me. And. Uh, she liked that, so she took my hand and took me out of the room. I remember there was like four lifts, and behind me there was like kind of like trains, and it was real hustle bustle. Like it was mostly men walking out. I think they had like light gray kind of uh, uniforms on, almost like jumpers, and there was like women on different levels. It was almost like a condo. There was like five levels that went like that, 
It was like you're inside and you were in the courtyard of like a condo. And uh, they were like waving and some of them had babies and stuff like that and the men were waving at them. And she took me up to one of these lifts and uh, there was no railing or anything like that. It was just a square and it, we walked on it and it took us up and we took it right to our room. And uh, I remember there's a woman standing on the railing with her baby and there's, or on the, you know, the levels on the sidewalk of the levels that went up and there was no railings or anything like that. And I said, aren't you afraid that, you know, you're gonna fall off? And she said, no, you can't fall off. And she just stepped off and there was like this field. So each level kind of had like this invisible field. And she said, yeah, the kids play on it. That's supposed to, and they could, I said, how far does it go? It runs all the way to the end. You can just run around on different levels so you can't fall off. And then I, she took me in the room and it was real Spartan. It was just, you know, bare necessities. It was like one table, one couch, coffee table, uh, four, bar, four bar chairs, a bar, it looked like a kitchen area, and then like a bedroom. And she took me by the hand and took me to the bedroom and she, um, we started to kiss. And she said, wait a minute, what's your name? And I said, I thought about it, I said, I don't know. And she said, come on, think, everybody remembers their name. And I said, I thought about it and I said, Daryl. And we had sex, made love. And I remember I, I, I was leaning up against like the headboard she was laying on my chest and I kind of dozed off and I woke back up and I was back in England. I had like these images of like, I don't know, blonde hair, blue eyed people with like blue suits. I had images of being in a lot of pain and being carried and uh, things like that. I woke up and it was really strange because I was like, I was with a woman. I was like, what's happening? What just happened? I, I was, and it wasn't like it just, I was dreamt this. It was just boom. It was just like I didn't even sleep. Like I just closed my eyes and I opened back up. And um, I remember I ran my fingers through my hair because I was stressed out and I had like little burnt stubble all over my hands. I put it down my chest hair and I had burnt stubble. And I had clay on the tops of my feet. And I was like, what's happening? And I looked in the mirror and I was like really toned. Like, in good shape, and you know, I was in pretty good shape. I was in my 20s in the military, but I was really toned. And there was like a full-length body mirror in the room. And I, I walked out, and I didn't know like what was happening. I was really confused. And uh, there was this guy. He kind of thought of himself as like you know top dog of the barracks or whatever. And he was like waiting for me. And he goes, "Congratulations, you made it back." And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "20 years is a long time." He's like, "A lot of people don't make it back." And I, was, ah, I didn't know what was happening. And uh, so that's how it happened. And that's how my life was. This, I just started the command, so I had to deal with all these people, you know, in the command that knew I was in the program and stuff like that, and I had no idea. And um, on the base, like I said, there was a, like a bar on the base, if I could find it. Uh, I guess not. Anyways. It was, uh, there was a bar there and uh, there were these guys and I walked in and as soon as I walked in, this guy goes, hey, it's King of the Tejetans, what's up, man, how you doing? And I said, what? And he's like, yeah, man, Aquino fucked you up, man. He's like, he hurt you bad. He was like, man, I can't believe he did that to you. He's like, I was there. He's like, he was making me doing, do stuff to you. He was making me snatch your toes and stuff like that. I didn't know why and I was like, what? And uh, 
there was three other or three or four other guys at the bar, and they said something like "shut up," you're not supposed to tell them stuff like that. And uh, they were all drunk. And um, he said, "Yeah, but he could play guitar, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, it, was, it sounded almost like two different instruments." And I said, "You mean like harmony and melody?" He's like, "Yeah, is that what you call it?" I was like, "Yeah, that's how you play classical guitar." And I said, "You used to play." He's like, "Yeah, you could play real well." He's like, "You still play?" I said, "No." But it was almost like they were talking about me like a third person, like I didn't even exist. Like, it's like, "Yeah, man," it was really weird. And I kept going to this bar just because. Every now and again, he'd get drunk, and you would kind of tell me things, like there was a part of my life that I had no idea. And uh, I remember one time they were really high, like really high, giggling and stuff like that. And I said, "What's wrong with you guys? Like, what do you want?" And he goes, "We're on Chrome, man. We're on Chrome." And I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Adrenochrome, man." He's like, "You inject it." And I said, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "He goes, you get it from kids." And I was like, what? And I, I, it was just so weird that it was, all right, what, they're messed up. I thought they were like high in coke or something. I didn't know. And uh, yeah, they told me about that. And then, I don't know, it was just bizarre. He would tell me just strange things. And I remember one time we were watching TV in the bar, and we were watching a Tom Cruise movie or something like that, like Mission Impossible. He's like, yeah, Tom Cruise, he was at the base last week, man. I got to meet him. He went to the underground base. He said, yeah. He, he got some uh, adrenochrome from us. He said he's the main distributor for the Scientologist. And I was, I was like, what? I remember guys on base were talking about it. Like, yeah, like Tom Cruise was here the other day. And I said, well, why was he here? He's like, I don't know. Like, nobody knew why he was there. But the Satanists were in, like, the clique. So they knew. There was, like, caverns underground, underneath the base itself, the underground base. And that's where, like, the reptiles and elongated skulls and greys and stuff, they were, they were there. And that's where they kept the kids to get the drug, and uh, so that went on a while, and um, I had a really hard time after that. I, I, I went through about a month of depression, horrible depression, and uh, I kind of got over it, and I remember it was like a 4th of July party. And we, were, we got like, you know, cooking hot dogs and hamburgers, and it was like a 4th of July, and the XO came up to me, and he goes, uh, hey, Petty Officer James, I'd like you to introduce my, you to my daughter. And I talked to her, and I, I, you know, I tried to ask her out, but she turned me down and went away, and he said, uh, hey, Mr. James, uh, do you play guitar? And I said, or he said, Petty Officer James, do you play guitar? I said, no, sir. And I said, well, I said, I used to. He's like, well, you should take that back up. And he walked away. And uh, I got to the end where I was getting out of the military because I, I just didn't want to be there. I was getting into trouble. I was drinking too much. I, I, didn't, know, I didn't know what was happening to me. And uh, you do this thing where you go, when you're in the military, you get to talk to the master chief of the base, the executive officer, the commanding officer. And it's like you can say whatever you want pretty much. You can call him an asshole, but you can't threaten him or anything like that. But it's just like this tradition they have before you get out of the military for good. And uh, I saw the Master Chief. He was a fat guy. And then um, I walked into the uh, XO's office, and he stood up, and he looked really sad. He stood up really slow, and he looked sad. And uh, he just, like, jumped to the end of the desk. It was like, I remember I thought, like, did I just have a stroke? Like, it was like I lost, like, three seconds of my life all of a sudden. And then he did it again. like jumped right, right in front of me, and I took a step back, and he took a step forward slowly. 
And he told me later on, like during his conversation, that I guess there's like hiccups in time that fifth density beings can see and walk through. So it's not like he went fast, he just kind of like went through time for a second, I guess, or a few seconds. And uh, yeah, he looked really sad and he, he said, telepathically, can you hear what I'm saying to you? And I, in my head I said, yes, but it's like this thing that they do where they want you to physically acknowledge. And I, I said, he said again, can you hear what I'm saying to you? And I nodded my head and I, under my breath I said, yes. And uh, he just told me everything. He just started telling me all this stuff. And um, he, he said something went wrong. You, you know, you're, partially, you're still partially in fifth density. So, you know, something went wrong. You, you, the, the chair didn't put you down properly in the third density. And you still have your memories. He's, he said, well, we're going to have to take you back into the underground base and wipe your mind again. And um, he said, if you don't do this, this will destroy you. And he kept on saying that, this will destroy you, this will destroy you. And I said, like, what do you mean? Am I, am I going to blow up? Like, I didn't know what he meant by destroy. And he said, uh, most people who have memories of the 20 year and back commit suicide within the first six months. And uh, so he did that. And I remember he, he started saying, like, what do you remember? And I said, I remember I was with this like woman somewhere, and there were mines. And uh, he said, uh, that was the moon. He said, you were in the moon. And I said, well, who's the woman? He said, April. And I said, April who? And uh, I didn't, you know, it's military, so I don't know her last name, so he said her last name, I don't want to say it. And I was like, oh God, I, don't, I can't stand that woman. You know, she was like a gossip, and I just didn't like her. And uh, he was like, all right. and. Um, I said, I remember a, a, a woman sitting down with silver hair who was very tall, and she had a baby on her lap, a boy, like a toddler, and I remember kissing him on the head, and I kissed her, and uh, he said, that was mother, he called her, and he said, uh, you had a son with her, and I said, I have a son, and he said, you have dozens of sons and hundreds of daughters. And uh, I was like, what? <laughs> and yeah, and I mean, that happened. And uh, he just started going on all the stuff. And he said, he was telling me all these things. And I wanted some sort of timeline. Like, I, I wanted to be able to figure this out. I said, I remember being in mines. I was like, what was that, in the Earth? He goes, no, that was in the moon. I was like, I was on the moon? He goes, you were on Mars, too. And I, I said, how long was I on Mars? And then he said, two years. I said, how long was I on the moon? And he said, uh, three months. And I started like, getting my memory back just by him saying this. And he said, I said, uh, and then I was in Solar Warden. Like, I remembered that conversation all of a sudden. Because all I really remember was being picked up by the first class in the airport and going to McDonald's. And like, everything else is kind of blur. They kind of like, went back and wiped that the conversation we had as well. And uh, Yeah, and so he told me that, and then and I said, the rest of the time I was in Solar Warden, he said, no, you were with them. Uh, I said, and when I was in, in the barrier, I forgot to say, when I was in the bar one time, and I was talking to that same Satanist, the goon, he uh, 
told me like I said like like what what is like what is a you know Tajetan what is that and he said you ever watch like Billy Meyer or anything like that and I said no I didn't have a computer at the time he's like well you could check them out and stuff like that so I checked it out and then going back to the conversation I had with the XO and I said like you know they're the uh, Pleiadians aren't they because I knew the Billy Meyer thing and he said we call them Nordics the military and I said what do they call themselves he said Tajetans and uh, I remember I was like shuffling around his desk looking for a piece of paper and a pen on like his $10,000 mahogany desk that like all XOs and COs have. And he's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm looking for a pen and paper. And he grabbed me a pen and paper and started writing it down. I was, you know, he uh, asked the name of the, he said you were on the USS Nimitz, the name of the ship. I wrote that down. And I remember I said like, don't we have a ship in the US called the USS Nimitz? And he said, yeah. And I said, isn't it bad luck to call? you know, two ships the same name, and he just shrugged his shoulders like it didn't matter. And, uh, uh, he, uh, yeah, and, um, I remember he said the name, uh, he, he said you had, a, you know, a lot of wives, he said, but the one you loved the most was uh, Swaru, he called her. And, uh, I wrote that down, and I wrote a mother, and I, name, and I wrote several names, I wrote all these names, and, uh, he kept on saying, you have to go back, you have to go back. And I said, no, I can't do it. And uh, I walked out, making it shorter. And um, I remember I was in my room. And I remember he said something. Oh, I'm so sorry. He started talking about all this. He started telling me about all these different things, about the future. He said he was from the year 2580 in a different timeline. And he said that uh, they had to go back and they had to fix the timelines because something went wrong. He said that... Uh, he started talking about, you know, this Q thing. He started talking about that. And he said it's like a quantum computer and uh, high-ranking officers, like, on the positive side, not just from the U.S., but all around the world, and they're all working together. And uh, it really, he really didn't act like it had a lot to do with, like, ETs. They were kind of helping. Kruger was helping us, he said. But uh, it was mostly them. And uh, he told me things like Donald Trump's going to be president and things like that. And uh, he said, like, but it's not really him. He, he, he said he kind of, like, it's not Trump, it's the military. Like, we just have Trump as, like, a figurehead or something. It's kind of like how he said it. And uh, he said, told me that, and he's just telling me all this wild stuff. And I remember he told me about, um, he told me that, about the adrenochrome. I remember I kept on saying, I had this image in my head where I saw kids in cages. And I remembered that, and I didn't know what it was. And I kept on saying, like, what are the, what are the kids for? What are the kids for? What are the kids for? And his name was Robert. He told me, and I said, Robert, what are the kids for? What are the kids for? And he was trying to change the subject over and over again. And eventually he broke down and he told me. And he said, did you ever see that movie Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? And I said, yeah. And he said, you remember the adrenochrome scene? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, that's where they get it from. So they get it in, from underground bases. And uh, yeah, so and I, he told me that they electri electrify the cages until the kids are unconscious. And I remember they were white, and their eyes were big and dilated and matted. They were naked, and they looked like they were just lived in these cages their whole life. And uh, they were like sheet white. And uh, he said that they take the children who don't have high enough scores from the moon. There's brothels up there, and your only motivation to work is, you know, to have sex. And uh, they use the kids. They send them through portals into these underground bases, and that's where they get the adrenochrome from, and that's like what it's for, basically. But I, I, as far as I could tell, what the, the moon was for.
And um, he told me that, and then he told me about, he started talking about Tom Hanks was like the kingpin of it, of adrenochrome sales. And he said we caught him in Australia. He was trying to get into the caves to get to the reptiles. I guess he deals with them directly, and he knew he was going to get caught, and he was trying to run. But we got him, and we executed him. And he started telling me about um, people are going to think that a JFK Jr. is still alive. He told me that. He said people think that Princess Diana and Michael Jackson is still alive, but they're not. And I remember I said something like, well, is it true what they say about Michael Jackson? He said, yeah, and he said, but it's not true. But he said, but it's not his fault. He kind of thought like that. I said, what do you mean? He said, his father like, uh, basically pimped him out to the music industry like sexually like his entire life when he was in the Jackson 5 and everything like that. And he told me that uh, Barry White was actually trying to come forward because he found out about this. And that's why Barry White died so mysteriously like in a hospital. Like, and only his lawyer and doctor was allowed to be there, not even his own daughter. And uh, they said, he told me that they were poisoning him slowly and like painfully and recording it to show others, like if you ever try to come forward about any of this, this is what's gonna happen to you. And uh, yeah, he's telling me all this stuff and I hope I'm not missing anything, but yeah, and he told me all about the adrenochrome, he told me about Tom Hanks, and that's all I can remember right now. And he tried to get me back in the chair, I said, no, no, no. And I kept on saying, I left, and I was in my room, and it was like the last weekend, I remember they used that same 5G technology to kind of go into the room, and I heard the XO, oh, I'm sorry, something else, he said, uh, he had to participate in torturing me five days ago because he time traveled so much. So for me, it was almost two years, but for him, it was only five days. And he said that uh, he saw the uh, tape of Hillary Clinton. And he said, uh, you know, we're going to execute certain politicians and things like that. And he's like, we're going to execute the Clintons. I said, oh, thank God. I said, they're murderers. <laughs> and he said, uh, he got right in my face. And he said, what do you mean by that? What do you mean, they're murderers? And I said, well, any time somebody investigates them, they always wind up falling out of a window or dying of an OD or something like that. And he goes, oh yeah, well that's true. And he goes, but you don't understand. He's like, they're like Jeffrey Dahmer murderers, he told me is how he put it. And he said, uh, Hillary's worse than Bill, but he knows what she's doing, so he's just as guilty. And he told me about you know cutting off the little girl's face and mocking her with it, and they had it all on tape and all this stuff. And uh, yeah, so he told me about that, and I refused to go back. He wanted me to go back, and I refused to go back. I remember Swaru told me that, there, I, and I had an image, of, I remembered it, and I said, they're going to try to get you to go back into the chair. She said, don't do it. And I said, uh, don't go into the chair. She goes, well, the first time, you're not going to have a choice, but the second time you are, don't go back in. And I remember her saying that to me. And I said, no, I don't trust you. I'm not going back. And... Uh, I left, I went back to the room. It was only my last Friday in that command. And um, I uh, heard the voice again from the 5G. He came on and he was kind of being like a bad cop with me. He was like, listen, Daryl, I'll forget about everything. You know, you go back in, if you go back in, if you head to the base right now, underground base, and you let me wipe your mind, you know, everything will be forgiven and blah, 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 and everything will be better. And I said, uh, I sat up in bed, and uh, I said, 
I said, I remember what you did to me now, talking about the torture. It was just these memories were kind of coming back. And I said, you gutted me. Like he took a knife and he cut me from here to here. And uh, I could hear him, he was, I think he was crying a little bit. And uh, when I was talking to him in the office, I remember I said, well, what makes you so good that you can, he told me about people commit suicide within six months. I said, you have all your memories. What makes you so special? I said, don't you ever think about committing suicide? And he said, every night. And I said, how would you do it? And he said, 45 in the mouth. And uh, didn't hesitate. And he kept on trying to, and now I'm back in my room and he's talking to me and he's trying to get me to go back in, trying to get me to go back in. And uh, I refused. And he I put the pillow over my head and he kept on doing it. That's so why I sat up and I said, uh, like I was mad and I said, may God let you die with blood in your mouth. And he said, uh, he said, Daryl, please don't say that. And I said it again, may God let you die with blood in your mouth. And I shouldn't have said that. And uh, cause I, now I remember that, you know, I did know him and he did care about me. And then I put the pillow back over my head and I could hear him talking like, please, please, but it just faded away, processed out. And uh, so here we go. When I was, uh, that's pretty much how they dressed, the dark fleet. I don't think the hats were the same, but those leather coats. Um, and they, they had like break the black uniforms and stuff like that. And uh, as punishment for poking that reptile in the eye, I was gonna do 40 years in the minds of the moon and not have my mind wiped. They do it as like a special punishment for people who really do bad things. And most of them commit suicide when they come back and they beat them hard. And uh, they had me doing that. And I, I remember I was with that woman, April, and I was kind of like dating her at the time. She was a nurse. I really didn't go to the brothels that much sometimes, I think, but I was just, I mostly was with her. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I was in the mines for three months and then I remember that guy being there, the Yodal guy, like, yeah, man, I was on the moon and sleeping with women, and he was there, and he was working with me in the mines. I remember there was one guy who refused to work, and we, so we'd all get shocked because this guy refused to work, and that guy, that Yodal guy, he uh, picked up a rock. We were, like, on break, and we were just sleeping, like, in the dirt on break, and he picked up a rock, and he smashed his head in with a rock, and, uh, I mean, that's kind of, like, how it was there because, I don't know. We were all being tired of being shocked because of him, and that happened. And uh, yeah, so I did that, and then I remember I was working in the mines one time, and uh, it was the XO came, and he was talking to a German, and he pointed at me, and the German came up with like this box, and he kind of waved it, like held it in front of me, and he talked to that first class petty officer, they couldn't stand me, and he was yelling at him in German. and. Uh, he called me over and I said, yes, sir. And he said, come with me. And they processed me into like uh, the dark fleet. And uh, I remember they brought me to an area where they put, strapped me to a table, even my head. And I remember a doctor, he had like a mask on and a, like a cap. And there was like a, one of the tall whites in the corner kind of just standing there. And he said, uh, the doctor, 
held this needle, it looked like a turkey basting needle in front of me, and he said, I'm, this is gonna be used to put the implant in your brain. And I was like, what? And he just cracked through my skull, put an implant in, and then the chair flipped over, and it felt like they gave me like a spinal tap. I felt like a needle going into my spine, and like cool fluid, and I think that was like the tech they were putting in me or something like that. Threw me in a room for a couple, for like two days, I think, to let it all kind of get hold of me, and then, uh, took me out. I remember they like threw this white powder on me, but it wasn't like delousing. It was like, first they hit, they, sh they shot me with a hose and then they threw powder on me. And the German was like, you know, rub it in your hair, rub it on your face, rub it down your body, your pits, your groin, and rub it down your body. And it was just like the soap that you didn't have to like wa wash off. It like cleaned you. And uh, they handed me all these uniforms. They gave me like this big duffel bag, threw it all in there. And I was like in the dark fleet in the ship. And uh, so I was in the Dark Fleet for a while. And uh, they liked me a lot because I remember every time before I would go out, they would say, on Mars, they would say, um, you know, when you get back, they're gonna kill, they're gonna eat you alive, they're gonna kill you, and it's gonna be slow. You might not wanna, you know, come back. They would always tell me that. And uh, I did mostly things like mantises. We were looking for mantises. I remember they were really good with like DNA. And uh, they wanted them for like, you know, what they knew about DNA, the, the reptilians. And uh, so that was like my job on Mars. And I remember one the first time I saw like the reptiles, they called the one head one the master. And they were kind of like hunchbacked and they looked almost like those Skeksis from like that old dark crystal. But they were kind of reptilian, like they had long snouts and they kind of like swayed and they had these long robes that drug behind them. I guess it was like hiding their tail. And uh, I remember like the robes would shimmer and like you could see like hieroglyphics and look like scales, but it was almost like a, like a hologram or something. It was kind of like hypnotizing to watch. And uh, I remember they were walking and it was just like, almost like an attention on deck. Like we were, and then they came in. The rep, it was like three reptiles. It was like the head one and he had like two stooges. And, uh, they, all the people next to me were like cowering and shaking and like looking away. And I was looking at them, but I wasn't making eye contact with them, but I was like, why are these people shaking so much? And it looked at me, the reptile, and I think it hit something on its belt or something, and I felt like a shock, and I think it was like an implant. And it did it till I threw up. And then a, a German, and it walked away, and a German came up, started yelling at me in German, and I knew what he wanted. He wanted me to clean the throw up up. So I went to go somewhere to go get it, and he shocked me again, and I fell down. So I just took my shirt off and I like gathered up the vomit and I just held it in front of me like at attention. And then he just walked away. And uh, yeah, I remember we had like cloaking suits, like these black suits that would cloak. And it wasn't like Predator, you were just like invisible and invisible. I remember it was like almost like a joke for the new guys. A guy would cloak and right in front of you, he would tap your shoulder. And like you'd look, you'd like look behind you and stuff like that like, and nobody was there. And then like he would decloak and they would all start laughing at you. It was like this new guy thing. And I remember they called this, they called, they called this conscripts, which is like short for conscriptions, which is like volunteers. And uh, um, which you're, you were really low on like the table, on the totem pole, I mean. And uh, so yeah, um, that happened. And I remember one time when I put the suit on, the first officer, German, who was like the second command, he liked me. And uh, he said, if the mantises run inside the caves, he said, don't follow them. He said, just cloak and wait. 
And I said, why? He said, there's uh, spiders uh, three meters in di diameter that live in the caves and they can control them telepathically. He said, they're about as smart as dogs, so they'll come out and they'll lose like their, you know, they'll lose the target, they'll lose their whatever they're hunting and they'll just go back into the cave, they'll just lose attention. And uh, they pick everything up by vibration and they live in the caves because they don't spin webs, so they use the webs as their, as, like, they use the caves as their webs. And there's a lot of sandstorms, so, and there's like big like iguanas and monitor lizards and stuff like that. They're on Mars, desert shrubs, and they'll run in there whenever that, like sandstorms happen and the spiders will get them. And uh, so yeah, anytime, anytime one of them would go in there, I would just cloak and wait. And I remember they would run out the spiders and they had like those two front like, like feelers like a spider does. And they would slam them on the ground and wait. And they would, they would turn around real quick and they slam it on the ground and wait. And it was almost like they were trying to bluff me in the running so they could pick up like my vibrations and know where I was. And uh, after a while they lost, lost attention, they went back in. I, and then I became almost like a sergeant or a chief where, kind of thing where I was breaking in like new Germans from the academy. And I remember there was this young guy, that, a German, who uh, ran into a cave and uh, I was telling him to stop. And, Two spiders came out and he sh got them both, shot them both. But then the third one came out and it got them. And they have almost like, I think they look like uh, dung beetle kind of pinchers, where they just hold you and then they hit their, put their fangs in you. And it like snapped them almost like right in half, snapped them in half. And I remember it like freaked me out and I kind of took a step back. I'd never saw it happen before. And it knew exactly where I was and it ran right after me. And so I just lit it up. I just opened fire and just shot it, shot it, shot it. And I remember I blew one leg off and I just kept on hobbling and going. And it was, it sounded like a wounded rabbit, like a, like a screaming kind of over and over again. And then eventually I just killed it and it died. And, but yeah, I remember I asked the guy, like, what was it like? And he said, you know, I didn't feel anything. It was like, as soon as the, like, I felt a pinch, and as soon as the venom went in, I didn't feel anything. And uh, yeah, so there were spiders and mantises, and this, there was like a type of like, uh, almost like an Amish kind of colony of reptiles where they, they kind of abandoned like technology and they just used very primitive kind of ET tech. They didn't use any kind of anything advanced. Um, and yeah, so I did that for a long time and I got really good. And then I remember one time when I was new, I put my hand on the, on the desk. I was trained to be a pilot at first. Once they found out I had service in the Middle East, they looked at my record and they were like, oh, you're in the Middle East and they, they put me like the infantry. Basically, after that, first I was going to be pilot, and then they like once they found out I had like experience in the Middle East, they put me in infantry, and uh, put my hand on the table and I said, "Give me a pilot." And my left nails were long because I was practicing classical guitar. Because I was, they gave me a guitar when I showed up in the room. Like all the stuff was there in the room. They knew, you know, all the hobbies I liked and what I like to do and things like that. And. Uh, he said, you need to cut your nails, like the first officer saw it. I said, well, I play classical guitar and I really like it. And, you know, don't do this to me, please, sir, and stuff like that. And he's like, he asked me how long I could, I could play in front of an audience. And I said, well, I've been playing for like a month, so maybe, you know, three more months. And he's like, well, you have one. And he's like, you better start studying every day. And so I got pretty good. And there was a bar, I remember, in the ship. And it had like a horseshoe bar. And the women, there were like mostly nurses, German women sat at the bar. And the German men, they, there was like four or five tables with four seats each, round tables. And they sat and they would pull the tables up closer to me and they would listen to me play guitar. 
And uh, I got really good to the point where the master, the, the head reptile, actually called me into his quarters. And another thing that happened, I remember when I was new, that first officer took me to a back area of the ship, the aft of the ship. And you could always tell when you're getting close to where the reptiles live because it got like darker, kind of more humid, warmer. It smelled like, uh, I don't know, like old feces. And uh, we went with this area and we walked to a room and there was a naked man standing on like a, sitting on a, on a table. And the first officer would take him, grab him. And I went to grab him and he wouldn't move. I grabbed, went to grab his arm and he had like long bangs. And I was just trying to be like human with him. I was like trying to brush his hair away to kind of make eye contact and say, hey man, like, you know, come with me. And when I pushed his hair away, it was me. Like it was an exact clone of me, with like longer hair and I was naked. And uh, as soon as it did that, it like, it almost like it trusted me. I, there's like a bond I remember that mother told me about when you first meet a clone, it, it were, it's almost like your long lost twins or something like that. And uh, I grabbed him by his arm and I pulled him in and I went to the room across from the room where I went across the hallway to another room and there was a reptiles there and I remember I looked up and there was like this clear like vaulted ceiling and I could, it was the first time I really saw space with like my naked eye really, I was still kind of new then and I remember it was just like nebula clouds like pinks and blues and yellows and greens and reds and it was really beautiful, it wasn't just like black with white dots. And. Uh, there was a long table, and the master was sitting at the head of the table, and like his lackeys were sitting on the other side. And uh, he said, give me that. And he grabbed the clone, and he grabbed it by the back of the neck, and he said, look at him. And it looked at me, and it just snapped one of his arms off. It bit it right off. And uh, I tried to fight, and the German grabbed me from behind, like put me in a headlock. And they're genetically augmented in the womb, so they're much stronger than us. And uh, I couldn't do anything, you know. I don't know, it was like yelling and stuff like that and trying to hit him with his other arm. And uh, I remember it, it like watched me. It, it was almost like it was like feeding off what I was experiencing, like the fear and the pain and stuff. It was just glaring at me and it like, you could tell it enjoyed it. And I remember it like lifted its head up and I let it slide down and it crunched some more and it lifted its head up and did it again until it swallowed it. And then it hit, the guy was kind of woozy now, the clone. And he said, he kind of he slapped him in the face, like hit him, he said, wake up. He said, look at him. And it looked at me and he just like leaned in and just ripped its throat out. And he just like, blood just poured down his chest and he just went limp. His eyes rolled up in the back of his head. And without even like really trying, he grabbed it and threw it right over his head and slammed on the table behind him. And the other reptiles just started tearing it apart. And he made me watch that for a while. And then uh, he said, take him away. And I went back to my room. And I remember I, I remember I sat down on my bed and I put like my hands in my head. And I said, you know, I think I was better off in the mines. And uh, so I got really good at my job. I was getting pretty much everything they wanted, stuff like that. I remember there was this one time, this is interesting, I don't think I've ever said it before, but there was this one time where we're chasing a mantis through a canyon. And there's two guys behind me and we're chasing him. And uh, he stopped 
and turned around. He was pretty far from us, and I, was, I stopped, too, because I was like, what, what, you know, this has got to be a trap. I just stopped. And I looked around me, and there were just caves everywhere, like we were in a canyon with caves, and just, I don't even know, hundreds, maybe thousands of, like, these spiders just started running out. And it lifted its hands up, and uh, there were, like, these beetles that were about the size of, like, footballs. And I heard that they actually genetically engineer these things. It's like they're kind of weapons. It's like, it's like a DNA manipulation kind of stuff. And they could control them totally. And they kind of swirled like a homing pigeon and then just came down at me, at us all. And like we cloaked, but we were running. So they knew where we were. We just ran and ran and ran. I remember we jumped down like a sheer cliff and it was high, really high. And I remember you talk, it, everything has AI. Everything has like a soul of consciousness. The, the, the reptiles use that. Um, your weapon, you need a soul to interact with AI properly because it's kind of like the soul's part of God and if God is all-knowing, then the soul is all-knowing kind of thing. So something that advanced, you need like a soul in it. It doesn't have to be human, just a soul. And so I remember I was running towards this cliff and I told the suit, I said, you know, when I hit the ground, I'm going to like shatter my legs. When it, you know, it, these things can handle probably, I guess, 10 stories before they even make kind of a noise when you hit the ground, and I was much higher than that. I said, I'm gonna shatter my legs when I hit the ground. I said, get me back, no matter what. And it said it affirmative, it just said that. And I jumped and I hit the ground, my legs just blasted out, and it got me back to the ship, though. I, I told it beforehand, get me back. And uh, so yeah, that was, I don't think I ever said that, told that one before. But uh, after that, I went to, uh, I got really good, and. I went to the reptile in his own personal like little dining area where he took me before and he said, hey, uh, he said, you've been doing really good. And he was like talking about, he was congratulating me, which they never really did before. And he said, when, when you get back, I'll tell them to be lenient on you, you know, so they won't hurt you as bad. And they took me away and then the Germans were there. And there was this German I ever saw before, really high ranking, and he said, you know, they're ly he's lying to you. Whenever they take you back, they're going to tear you apart. And he said, uh, we would like you to join the Dark Fleet. He's full-time, basically. He said, uh, your only living relatives are your mother and sister. You have no wife or children. He's telling me that. And so I said, okay. And it was better than that, so I agreed. And uh, I said, on one condition, I said, uh, I want German citizenship. Whatever you call it, I want it, you know. He said, what do you mean? Oh, no, this is how I put it. I said, uh, permission to speak freely, sir. And he said, go ahead. And I said, uh, are there horses on your world? And he said, I own two horses. And I said, it's really nice. Horses are beautiful. I like them. And uh, he said, I said, uh, I want what you have, sir. And he said, you want to be an officer? I said, well, if I earn it, then yes. But no, I want to be a German. I said, I want to be able to own property. I want to have a German wife, and I want to have German children with her. I told him I didn't want to be a leaf blowing in the wind my entire life. I wanted roots. And uh, so he t went back to whatever his higher-ups talked about it, and they agreed. And uh, I didn't see many swastikas, but I saw lots of black suns. They wore black suns a lot. as like their insignia. Okay, I'm sorry. It's a long story. This is the way they dressed. It was like the 40s. Men wore suits and fedoras. Women wore dresses and pillbox hats. I met this woman there at a beach bar. I'm sorry I went on so long. 
Okay. Um, I remember I swam, and you know, for some reason my memory kind of works like that. I remember having swimming trunks like this, and with a, like a snap on the front, like a cinch belt. I remember, and the house, the structures were similar to that, and I had uh, dinner at the German's house, and uh, he invited me over to have dinner with this new woman I met. Named, I think her name was Helen. I don't remember. I was like dating her or something. It was like we're almost like engaged. It's very old fashioned. I think it was only there for about a week, but it was this. It was very like old fashioned. And uh, I said, uh, you know, I remember in the kitchen they in the house they had one of those vinyl like red doors that you opened up, and you had two sons, and they sat like in a separate, you know, kids table in the kitchen. So it was like very old fashioned like that. And uh, yeah, I asked her to marry me, and she said yes, and then I went on to uh, the Dark Fleet, and uh, he said, we have a, uh, we have a, uh, I'm sorry, oh, he said, we have to go to some sort of station, he said, uh, the people were fighting her there, and they might attack the master, but they're not going to, but just in case, be ready, and I said, yes, sir, we went out to this area, and it, it was like the space station that had like clear walls, a clear ceiling. It was like a big rectangle. And when you look behind you, there was like levels. And there was this like trade. ETs like to trade a lot, stuff like that. And it was also like a way for uh, to talk peace treaty agreements and things like that in between like warring factions and stuff. It was almost like a United Nations or something like that. And uh, I walked out and a man and a woman came out and the master walked up to him and the woman walked up to him. And she said something like... Uh, they're talking about, like, the package or something like that. You know, the package belongs to us, you know it belongs to us, and you give it back. And he's like, well, we've spent so much time and resources in the packages, the package belongs to us. The man came forward, and he had, like, a smart glass pad, and he showed him something, and he said, you know, you're in violation, you know, you know it rightfully belongs to us. If you don't give them back, it'll be considered an act of war. So he read it, and he put through his hands up and took off, and the woman came up to me and said, you're coming with us now. And uh, they looked similar to that. They had like their eyes were like a fifth larger than us, blonde. Um, I remember like the co-pilot especially, I knew this one guy, he was like the navigator. He looked like the guy on the right. But it was like their uniforms were more like this. And I remember the guy on the left of this picture, when they're communicating with you, they have that look on their face, this really intent look. It's like the look of communication. Uh, they wore like the Merkaba as like their, uh, uh, their uh, sigil, as they call it. I remember um, I came there, and uh, there was a man and a woman, and I lived with them, and she was like the head science, and I was uh, training to be pilot, and uh, there was the um, navigator, and uh, we were eating, and they said something like, she said something like, we knew you were there. And this was the woman Swal I was talking about. We knew you were there the whole time with the uh, reptiles. And I said, well, why'd you, why'd you do that? Why'd you leave me there? And she said, we wanted you to learn from them. And I got really mad, and I got up, and I grabbed my guitar, and I started playing. And what I always did when I was really upset, and I remember I looked up, and they were both sitting in front of me, and they were going, just like that, like really wide-eyed, and their mouths open. And they said, how did you do that? And it was like, ETs, they really don't have the creativity that like, we have. And, it was just like mind-blowing to them. And I said, like, I don't ever want to talk to you again, and blah, 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 and I was mad. And 
I forgave him eventually. And the craft I went into looked something like that, like the Billy Meyer, like a beam ship kind of thing, like, brought, like polished metal. Uh, in this, uh, in this UN kind of area that I was talking about, we saw Arcturians. We worked a lot with Arcturians as far as like what we're accomplishing here right now. They're like ninth density beings, I believe. Um, I saw you know things like that, like basically like what you see like in the Egyptian pyramids. I saw like a canine humanoid. I saw feline humanoids. They were just everywhere. It was just different ETs. And I remember I kept on telling myself, you have to remember this, you have to remember this. Because I thought there was only like reptiles and greys and that was about it. I never saw any of this other stuff. That's kind of that's what the starship looked like, like the Battlestar Galactica ship, similar. It was a darker haze gray than that, which is like a you know like a gray color. And I, this is from uh, Elena Danan, and uh, she let, I, let me use it from her book. And uh, I was on Era, but I used to travel a lot to Tamar, and uh, there's st stars called uh, Vegeta, so they call themselves that so they can point at a star chart. It's like once uh, beings get the ability to go to space, they can just point at a star chart and say, that's where I'm from. I'm from that sun. I'm from that star. Um, I went to their home world, and uh, I saw all kinds of just, it looked like Norway or, or, or Colorado Rocky Mountains. It was very mountainous, rivers, lakes, all that stuff. But they also had like tropical looking plants, like big leaf, kind of banana looking plants. Um, oh. Something happened. Oh. Um, yeah, so. Um, I eventually had a child with this woman. I had, uh, I think, two children, a son and a daughter. And I saw, uh, they go through this thing, this is important, I should talk about, where the woman it goes through like a bonding process with their baby whenever it's, they're first born. And, uh, you can't get near, it's like for 10 months, and uh, she'll attack you, basically, if you try to take the baby from her. And, but the men, they also like rut every six months for like two weeks, like they kind of go, like the male equivalent, like go into heat. So it's almost like it's not part of their culture, it's like part of their DNA that they have more than one wife. You know, it's not like a cultural thing, it's just part of like their makeup, who they are. And uh, yeah, and I went back to their, eventually I got to go back to their home world. I started growing my hair out like theirs. I had long hair, I started wearing their uniforms. Um, I started teaching them things like sport. I taught them like baseball. And I remember I smoked fish. They loved fish and they ate fish. And I remember they didn't have smoked fish so I went through the smart glass pad and found out like non-toxic woods and wood chipped and I was smoking fish and they really liked it. And during the games I used to wrap smoked fish and like a banana leaf so they could eat it. And then instead of having trash, they could just throw the leaf down. And uh, yeah, that happened and I was playing sports with him. And every now and again, I would see uh, Robert, the XO. He would kind of check in on me every now and again. And I remember uh, we had like a, our first like football game. I taught him football and it was only warrior cast. Like all the men played baseball, but like only the big guys. There was like a warrior cast too. I forgot to say that, which is like, they're really big, like genetically altered like men. And they're like seven feet tall. And they're bigger than the others. The regular men are about 6'3", and I say like the women are like 5'8". Um, and uh, yeah, it was after the game and uh, the XO watched the game and the CO was there, the commanding officer from the same command. And uh, 
that British guy that I met before in the underground base. And uh, Robert said, uh, Daryl, it's time to go. I said, well, where are we going? He said, it's time to go home. And uh, before, and I mean, before this, I got this, I got involved in this. The queen went up to me and told me that the king was tired of being king and he was old and uh, she wanted me to be the king. And I said, yes. And I had one queen and the king gets 200 princesses about. And I remember I asked the queen, I was in bed one time and I asked her, I said, why do I have to sleep with so many women? <laughs> and she said, uh, to ensure the survival of your lineage is how she put it. And uh, I forgot the women, it's different. Uh, well, the way they have sex is different than us. It's, um, they do it like us until they get to about 40 years old and they, they reach like this spiritual maturity. And uh, I'm gonna blush, but uh, <laughs> the, the man lays down and the woman is on top. And then I remember she, like she would stretch her head up to the sky for about 10 seconds. And then she'd like look down and like locked eyes with me. And when she locked eyes with me, our consciousness changed, and I was in her body. And I remember I started thinking things like, what's happening? How long is this going to last? Am I going to stay like this? And I started to panic. As soon as I panicked, I just came back. Like, I blinked my eyes, and I came back. And I thought, well, it's not that bad. So, you know, <laughs> I, I came back. It's not that bad. And she did it again. She looked up for about 10 seconds, and she, like, really wide-eyed, looked down at me. And then this time it became almost like an out-of-body experience, and we went out of the ship, and it was almost like an omnipresence oneness, I guess you would say, with, like, the universe. It was like this thing where I couldn't tell if, I was, if it was hours or days. And then I just, like, woke up. It was like I opened my eyes, and she, like, hopped off of me. And then I, like, leaned up on my elbows, and I looked around, and I said, I said, did I finish? <laughs> and she said, yeah, you finished. It was just like, <laughs> I didn't know. Because it, it, it's like so much more, it was like so much more than just like that physical kind of thing. It was like a spiritual kind of uh, experience. And uh, yeah, and I remember, yeah, he said, so we're back. We just got done playing the football game. And he said, uh, Daryl, it's time to go. And I said, well, where are we going? He said, go home. And I was like, I don't want to go home. <laughs> and uh, he said, you got to go back. And so I went back. And I, uh, I remember I was singing uh, Woody Guthrie so long, and it's been good to know you. because, And I remember uh, Robert asked me, why did I do that? And I said, because I wanted to cry. So I didn't want to cry in front of them, so I sang. And uh, yeah, I went back in the ship. They put me in the chair. I remember getting my head shaved. And uh, that was another thing. My hair was like, it was like cut, but like, it looked like somebody just put like a, a guard on it and just shaved my head. And when I woke up, when, after all this happened, I didn't know what, what was wrong with my hair. And uh, I had the stubble because I was growing a beard too at the time. And uh, yeah, so that happened, and I went back into the density chamber chair, 
I remember I asked Robert, why did I do this? I said, why? I, didn't I know I probably have like a family that I have to leave? Why would I do this? And he said, uh, your father had a heart attack when you were young and you wanted to try to bring technology that would help others. Because you have no memory of, they like kind of wipe your mind, you know your ABCs and one, two, threes, but you really don't remember your, your history. And uh, I guess that gave me some kind of comfort. And they put me in a density chamber chair. They brought me back down to third, at least they thought. And uh, I woke up, I was, and I was being drugged. I didn't know what was happening, I was naked, and that, that's why the tops of my feet had clay on them when I woke up in the morning, because I was being drugged on the ground. And I was in like these caves, and uh, the, uh, the woman on the right said, he's heavy, let's take a break. She dropped my arm, and the, a man was holding me. And it was the goon and this woman I called the goth. I don't remember their names. And uh, I looked over, and this little girl scared, scurried up in this cage and slammed the front of the cage. And she was white. And the woman like hit the cage and said, get the fuck back. And she like went back. And then, um, yeah, and I saw. Um, I came to, I didn't know what was happening. Oh, and, and past those cages, I saw this one big cell cage, like big prison cell cage, and uh, it was like a zoo cage. And it had like something like the, the bottom of a spider, the top half of like a man. And uh, it had like fangs like a spider, and it had eyes that kind of went up its head, it had like a tuff of hair, and then it, at its elbows it had like hair and with like two prongs. And they were saying, like, let's feed him the Max, you know? They're like, no, we gotta wait to see what Aquino wants to do to him. And the name of the spider was Max, and Robert told me that reptiles and greys like to do that, I guess, in the underground bases, because it's almost like, he, call, he called it building ships in a bottle. It's like a hobby for them. They just kind of mess around with human DNA like that. And, uh, yeah, I, I remember, like, Aquino was a, f or, or this reptile came in front of me, and he looked like a snake with, like, a head and uh, like a snake head coming out of a humanoid body and like a red cloak and like a red hood. And he said, don't you remember me, uh, Daryl? Don't you remember me? And I was like, what? And then I saw Kino all of a sudden, but it was almost like they took like two images and kind of blurred them together. And I saw like a reptile kind of scurry to the back. And I don't know if that's exactly what the whole, uh, what you call it is, uh, shape-shifting, body shape-shifting thing. But that's how I experienced it. It seemed like a trick. and. Uh, and somebody on those, one of the guys on the base told me that there's like a technology they have where they can pull a consciousness out and then replace it with a different consciousness. And I guess that's what happened to Aquino, the original Aquino, if you know what I mean. And this reptile put its consciousness in there and kind of moved them around like a meat puppet almost. But it was really this reptile underground. And uh, it tortured me for a long time, burned me, and that's why I had the burn stubble on my chest, um, things like that. And. Uh, I remember I came to and I said, uh, I remember now, because he said, why would you do that? Why would you poke him in the eye? Why would you poke him in the eye? And I couldn't, I was like, what are you talking about? I just thought I woke up and like the snake monster was torturing me. And there were people with like black cloaks in the room because I had no like memory because you go through like a temporary amnesia. And uh, I said, uh, I remember now. And it was just like, boom, like clarity. It just came to me. And I looked at, uh, the man and I said, I killed you. And I looked at the woman and I said, I killed you too. I didn't get a chance to say it, but we went, when I was with the Tijetans, we went into this underground base, the same one, because they do this kind of thing. It's like uh, time travel cat and mouse. That's kind of like how ETs do uh, 
warfare. So we went to this base, we got the kids out, and we came back. And uh, yeah, I, and I wound up shooting this man and woman, these Satanists, while they were there. And uh, I said, uh, I told him, I said, uh, I remember now, I said, I shot you. And I looked at him and I said, and I shot you too. And there was a big reptile I poked in the eye standing in the back. And I said, I don't know if I shot you. You know, there were so many of you. And I looked at Aquino and I said, uh, I didn't shoot you. I've never seen one like you before. And uh, he told me he was like a native inhabitant of Earth. He was worshipped in ancient Egypt at one time. It was like a god. He was very old, thousands of years old. Um, but he seemed to have like this weird... I don't know, he, he kind of thought of himself as more like a Kino than he did this reptile. He had like a personality. I don't know, maybe being in this extra body. I don't know, he seemed to think he was more like a Kino than this reptile. And uh, so I said that, and I remember um, I, I told him how I did it. I said, I rolled out a concussion grenade, and I knocked you both down, because I wanted to know. I just didn't want to kill him. I wanted to know. And I... Uh, kicked the guy over and he was laughing and I said uh, I said uh, this and I pointed at the kids I said you would do this to my children wouldn't you and he said I would and I pointed at the back ones behind me and I said and you'd do it to theirs as well wouldn't you and he said I would so I shot him and then the woman she tried to get up but she was too fat she fell down and I told her that I said you tried to get up but you were too fat you fell down and I shot you and then she just like yelled like you shot me you're a Titan, you're supposed to be good, you, you're not supposed to shoot people. She was pleading and begging and like asking me not to do it, but she didn't realize that like this had already happened as far as I was concerned. And I, I said to her, I said, uh, I, I kept on telling her, like, you know, what are you talking about? I'm like, of course you got shot for this. And uh, I, she said, you're a you're supposed to be good. And I said, did you think we're all gumdrops and lollipops, is what I told her. And I said, if you hurt our children, we're, we're going to come for you. And uh, she said, yeah, but I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to do this. And I thought about it. And I said, when you became a Satanist, did you think you'd be helping little old ladies cross the street or going to bake sales? Or did you want power? And I said, does drinking the blood of my children make you feel powerful? And then she said, kill him, kill him, fucking kill him. But I was tied to a rack, and so I couldn't stop her. And the goon grabbed her. Anyways... Because they made me the king, one of the reasons was it wasn't just because they wanted my DNA, because less than 2% of the Earth's population are genetically compatible enough with them to have children. It was also because it was like another kind of ET warfare where they were, they knew that if I was the king, it would be an act of war. And I remember I looked at Aquino and I said, I'm the king of the Tajetans and you have committed an act of war. I remember the big reptile in the back when ETs, a lot of times, when something like gets their attention, their eyes get really wide and they cock their head. And he did that. And uh, so basically, that kind of that saved my life. They messed me up, but that's how I got out of it. And I mean, I'll just go into how my life was after that for a little while. I mean, it was just hard. It was very hard. And I remember I had that piece of paper when I was in Norfolk with all the names and stuff like that, the post-it note. I, I would read it over and over again, and I realized it got to a point where it was driving me crazy, and if I kept on reading this, I, I, I probably would kill myself. So I, I rolled it up and I, I threw it out. And I remembered, I, I forgot some of the names. And uh, yeah, and that happened. And I would like to try to get into one more thing. 
there was this time, for a while there, I was drinking a lot, and I was kind of like suicidal, and I would walk into bad neighborhoods and stuff like that. And uh, there was these two women there, and they waved me in, so I went in. I was like, well, all right. And then I was really drunk, and I don't know, they were kind of acting weird, and I said, well, do you mind if I uh, lay down on, you know? They said, you can lay down on the floor. I was like, all right, and I was so drunk, I didn't care. And uh, I heard, like, this voice say, like, like I ain't scared, kind of sounded like that. I didn't know, like, what it was. I was and I was about, like, kind of halfway out of it, halfway into it. And the woman said, it's all right, it's all right. And uh, I felt something, like, wet on my face. And then I heard this voice in my head, and it went into my eye. And I heard this voice in my head say, uh, pull it out. And I grabbed it. I tried to pull it, but it was already around like my retinal nerve. And uh, I said, I'm going to pull my eye out. He said, well, then pull your eye out. And I clenched my eye as hard as I could, and I yanked it, and I pulled it out. And, I, the, and the, women were, the women said, like, like, hold them down, hold them down. And they were on top of me, and I just, like, pushed them off. And I stood up, and I had this thing, like, slapping around in my hand, and I just threw it down the hall. It was, like, wet and cold. And I yelled, and I was like, ah, like I thought. I didn't know what was happening. And uh, they just stood back, and uh, I saw this little thing on, the, on like the, the, the table. It was like a foot high, and it looked like a puppet. And I got real close to it, and it looked like one of these, which they call like grill. Uh, Robert called them drones. And I guess when you get drone, you're a drone as well. But then also like those working grays, they were called drones. And uh, it, I guess it pushes out this proboscis or whatever out of its head and it's like it's consciousness and it can go into your eye and wrap around and inject this fluid into your brain and it kills you but then it takes like your your body it takes your consciousness and they say it takes like weeks to recover from this but uh, Donald Marshall talks about it I don't know if you ever heard of him but uh yeah I threw it out and I ran out and I was like screaming because I saw this and I said lizard or, yeah I said lizards because I remember the Tijetans used to call them lizards as like an insult I would say lizards or reptiles in general. And uh, the two women, like, kind of like a shared consciousness, said, he knows, he knows, like one after another. And I was like, oh, and I just ran out. And I ran out, and I ran out the street, and these people were out in the street because I was yelling. And I said, what is that? I was like, I don't know, there's like a reptile. And it had like eye stalks like a crab, and I was trying to explain it. And I remember Don Marshall said that there's polka dots on the mailboxes of people who have been drones so they can tell each other apart. And I saw polka dots on their uh, mailbox. And I remember when I was in the ship with the Tijetans, the uh, navigator told me, he was the guy I told you, looked similar to the guy on the left. He was in the ship with me, and he kind of like stopped, and he said, and he was like, you know, pull, he was like saying, like, pull it out, pull it out, and things like that. So what it was was, you know, I was in two different timelines, and when this happened to me down here, he, he was like synced up to me telepathically enough where he could realize like I was in danger and I was being threatened of dying. And he was the reason why like I just pulled it out. He was, he's the one who woke me up and he's the one that got me to pull it out. And I think like some, I think uh, the XO, Robert said, uh, like Aquino kind of put some, he, he, he put some sort of like, I don't know, call on me. He said, but that's the last time he, he's gonna do it. Like this was almost like a setup, like the kind of higher density beings can manipulate lower densities. I remember that. So they can kind of make things happen. They can manipulate our density, like a fourth and a fifth density can manipulate ours. 
And I remember that. But yeah, that's something I hadn't brought up before. And yeah, that was what it looked like. And it was brown, like a rust color. It had pincers and stuff like that, like that. But yeah, I saw that. And uh, when another thing Robert told me, and this will be the conclusion, is uh, he told me that when you get your eagles, which is captain in the Navy and colonel in all the other branches, and it's based off the Roman eagle, and you know, admiral and general, of course, and he said all the CEOs of Fortune 500s, he said they all know about the secret space program, and they all know about the children in the underground bases. Like you're told this once you reach like a certain level of power. And uh, that's my mission, I guess. It's, I know I signed a lot of things, and I know, you know, I wasn't supposed to talk about this, but I didn't sign up to be part of some kind of system that was doing this to kids, and I didn't sign up to get tortured for two days by people who I thought were my own people, you know, like U.S. Army, British Na or Army, or yeah, British military. And that's why I'm here, and that's why I'm telling my story, because this has to stop. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, how do we stop it? I'm sorry? How do we stop it? I, what I'm here for is stopping it. It's just the awareness that people have that this is happening and this has to stop. I was told by Robert that they're working on it, that these you know, positive guys in the military, not just the United States, but all around the world, they're working on it to clear these bases and to stop this. He told me that, you know, for, for me, myself, as an individual, this is what I'm doing. But what I was told is, you know, how they're getting these politicians and musicians and movie stars to uh, turn on their other, the other people that are involved in this. They'll lock them in, a, like, a cell. And I guess the first week isn't that bad. You only need it once a week, adrenochrome. And then the second week, you get, a, like, you age, if you've been doing it 10 years, you age like 20 years just about. You age really quick, and then the third week, uh, you die. And it's very painful. But what I'm saying is that's what the military is trying to do to stop this, as them. But as us, I mean, just be aware of it. I think just the awareness of this, that's what I'm trying to push out there, that this was real and this is happening. And I saw this with my own eyes. And I mean. But we hear all this. It's absolutely terrible, um, you know, to hear it all and not be able to know what to do. I mean, I want to know, yeah, you know, spiritually. We'll have hope, and I mean, like I, once a consciousness, the hundred monkey, once a consciousness becomes aware of something, the population will become aware of something. And it's just not this, what, what's becoming with the children, the adrenochrome, it's just all of it, all of it. He told me things like, 
all the gold pretty much in the world is in the catacombs of the Vatican. And when, uh, what was it? The Library of Alexandria, when Caesar burned it down, he actually took all the tablets and all the scrolls and all the knowledge. He told me that where the uh, relatives of the Atlanteans, that, you know, it's all real. And basically what I'm trying to say to you is have hope. Like, we're going to, as far as what he told me, and I don't have a time exactly, he told me that, you know, things are going to be so much better. He, said, he told me med beds are going to be coming out. He told me they're going to stop this with the adrenochrome with the kids. He told me just all these things, and I can't do it in an hour and a half, but I gave you as much as I could. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, one question, Swaru. Um, there's a channel that's been going for several years, and I've gotten a lot of great information from Cosmic Agency. I don't know if you're aware of her. Um, a lot of information comes through, supposedly the internet directly to uh, Gosha, which I have a lot of respect for, uh, from Swaru, the Tajetans. So if you have anything, is there's some connection there, I'm just really interested in that. Lots of people sent me letters and they showed me pictures of her. She was redhead, this other woman I knew, Swaru, she was blonde and blue-eyed. And that's all I could really tell you. I, I don't know anything else. Is that all? Thank you. Thank you.